The major reason why companies do a bad job moving forward or there's so much effort to move forward is because the group isn't moving forward as a team. In order to do that, these emotional conditions that are causing people to put the brakes on, they have to be resolved first. Plug into the minds of the world's cutting edge innovators, visionaries, and thought leaders, rewriting the rules of high performance at work. It's your time to make an impact. I am your host, Jason Campbell, and this is Superhumans at Work, a Mind Valley podcast. Hey everyone, welcome back to Superhumans at Work. I have a special episode that I wanted to release for everyone today. Now, of course, if you're a regular listener and you enjoy these episodes, be sure to leave us a review on Apple by simply going into the list of episodes, scrolling all the way to the bottom to be able to leave us a review and some genuine feedback on how much you enjoy this show. This really helps us share and make sure more people get to discover. And if it's your first time here, make sure you hit that subscribe button because twice a week we release brand new episodes with extraordinary individuals who share insights that really help you level up in every area of your life, including particularly the workplace. Now, for today's episode is a very special one. I had a chance to interview Teal Swan out in New York City for one of the episodes that's included part of Mindvalley's membership area. Now, the full video is available for people who are members of Mindvalley, which you can find out more by going to mindvalley.com forward slash superhuman. But for us here on Superhumans at Work, we'll get a chance to listen to the audio version of this interview. So many incredible insights about how to show up, resolve conflicts, as well as be more authentic on how we are the workplace will really be a special episode you'll get to enjoy. It's a little longer than usual, but filled with the equal amount of insights. Please enjoy this amazing special episode with Teal Swan. And until next time, stay superhuman. We have to realize that we spend about 70% of our waking hours in the workplace. It ends up being some of the most important relationships you have in your life. And the more you get into bigger organizations and move into different positions, you're going to be dealing with people with various backgrounds, various histories, and various ways to deal with conflict. And what we want to bring to your awareness in this episode is how your relationship with these colleagues and how you deal with conflict in the workplace can be one of the essential skills that you can develop so that you can thrive, understand, and really make the greatest impact you can possibly make while you're in this space. Now, even if you're working as an independent person, you're still going to be dealing with human beings across any business venture that you do. And so how do you start having that understanding of the people around you, why they react that way, and also why you react in certain ways as well? And the expert that I'm bringing you today is none other than Teal Swan. Now, if you are familiar with Teal Swan, you would have went deep within her YouTube series, Ask Teal, where she talks about relationships with the self, with your spouse, your partners, your family, and the workplace on this YouTube series that goes to the root cause of all of these conflicts. And if you had a chance to look at her book, The Completion Process, or The Anatomy of Loneliness, you will realize that she is someone that really can not only give you a different way of looking at these things that make you truly solve the problem, but she gives you practical step-by-step processes on how to go from where you are now to where you strive to be. And so with me, we're going to be talking about how do you manage these conflicts, what to do when they arise, and how you can master yourself in the workplace. So Teal, thank you so much for being on the show. It's good to be here, thank you. Now, you've had a chance to work with individuals around the world in various types of relationships, various types of systems and structures. How do we see this aspect of relationship in this kind of social system of the workplace cause these issues of conflict to arise in the first place? Okay, so something to understand is that human beings always 
form a social system, no matter where they are. And that social system, I should say their role within the social system, is ingrained in childhood. So the problems that you're watching in the workplace is the result of whatever childhood system they were in. When they enter the workplace, they tend to find the exact same role within the company that they had within their childhood home. And that role within the company has all kinds of coping mechanisms and ways of dealing with things that are either beneficial or detrimental. Mm. Yeah, and even like you would see people would fall into these. Does it happen naturally? Like yes. do we get pulled into these oh, roles? That fast. So what would be a typical role that someone ends up taking on in the workplace? Scapegoat. Scapegoat? Yeah. What would that look like? Well, I think the scapegoat and the, the golden child are probably the two that are the most easily recognizable. Because if somebody was a scapegoat in their childhood home, they become the family problem. They enter a company and the way that they conduct themselves makes it the exact same thing. They're now the, the company problem. And everybody else, all the other workers, will deflect all of their dysfunction onto that person. So it's not about what I'm doing or not doing, it's about what that person's doing. And then if the company goes ahead and fires that person, another person gets delegated into that spot. No kidding. <laughs> and what about the golden child? How does that manifest within the workplace? The golden child is usually the heaviest codependent. They're a person who's going to be the people pleaser. They're running around compromising their own needs and their own best interests constantly for the sake of the company, but then their resentment builds. And that emotional energy of resentment tanks the company. Eventually, that person has like a little bit of an outburst or else they just quit on the spot and everyone's going, what the hell just happened here? Yeah, I thought. I mean, I thought everything was fine. I'm like, no, it's not been fine forever. You know. No kidding. Yeah. Okay. Now I'm. I have to admit, I think I see some of those elements within myself. Yeah. And I have a feeling that some of the people that might be watching might be starting to say, like, okay, maybe this is sad. either you've witnessed somebody doing something like that, but you kind of witness it within yourself sometimes as well. Are those the two main categories, or are there other types? Oh, there's, of, there's so many. Could we list maybe another three more so that people watching could identify possibly the roles that they could be playing in within the organization? Well, you've got the hyper responsibility taker. This is the person in their childhood home, they will have learned that there's really nobody there for me and I have to do everything. So they take all of the responsibility, but also all of the control. And there's that underlying resentment again there, because even though they're the person who says, yeah, I can do the extra assignment, it's not actually authentic to what they want. And so even though they step up, yet again, there's that underlying current of why do I have to be the one to always take responsibility? They also get frustrated and have a very hard time working with people around them because they have an attitude that everybody else is inept. It's interesting when you mentioned this because it seems like these are all stories that are playing out in people's heads, yeah. but I don't think people are even aware that that's happening. No, that's the problem. How do we deal with that? How do we deal with that? <laughs> <laughs> well, I would hope that companies would have part of their infrastructure be about these more emotional elements within the workplace so that people could become aware of their patterns. You know, if you had somebody who was coming in and talking to all of the people that worked within a company about these trends, so that they could really notice how they're reacting to things, what their general patterns are, then it's easier to catch themselves in it. But a lot of it boils down to the people who are in more managerial positions, the higher up type of positions, really opening up the floor for that to be present in the workplace. This is something that's the most difficult, if you want my honest truth, because in the workplace, we got to get stuff done. Mm. And it's hard to convince companies that it's really important for the precursor of the doing to be this emotional element within the workplace. When a person's in a managerial position, like even now I'm kind of having empathy for them because they always have these external drivers. It's like, you got to make it grow. Yeah. And so when we try to explain these concepts, which seem to have long-term benefits, yeah. 
they seem to ignore it. What are messages that we can tell to these people to make them understand how important that is? Oh, I got something really quick. Okay, I want you to imagine that you're in a stream and the stream has a current and there's a boat inside the stream. Let's say that you've got three people that are paddling in the direction of right and you've got three people that are paddling in the direction of left. What's gonna happen to the boat? Should go forward. Really? If you've got three paddling against three? Oh wait, three? it's gonna go in a circle. Yeah. <laughs> So the major reason why companies do a bad job moving forward or there's so much effort to move forward is because the group isn't moving forward as a team. In order to do that, these emotional conditions that are causing people to put the brakes on, they have to be resolved first. So the success that I see within the workplace is when I can convince a group of people that if you take two hours to get everybody on the same page emotionally and feeling good and wanting to go forward, you will accomplish in the next two hours what will take another company six hours to accomplish. I can see that. Now, it seems like something that would hold people back from doing that is actually an element of like trust. Like we're talking about everybody coming together and talking about these root issues that are coming up. And sometimes in the workplace, it doesn't feel like that space is being recognized or you don't feel like if you would be the one to call this out, that you would be reprimanded or people would say it's not serious. So how do you deal with having a place that you can trust that if you bring this all together, that it'll, people will acknowledge that it's worth doing? That's something that has to be set up with the foundation of the company or with a shift where the company decides to change its values. Mm. And that is then communicated to every person joining. I mean, if you're gonna have this kind of a conscious company, there's no reason to hire somebody who's not on board with that. That should be part of the hiring process. Mm. This is what we're doing, this is why we're doing it. Are you on board with it? And if the answer is no, this is not the right person to work for the company. Interesting. And I would feel there might be even an element that where people would say, if I bring everybody together and get everyone to speak their truth, huh? There might be an element of some people realizing, oh, I shouldn't actually be here. Which is important. Mm. It's really important. I mean, it's in my own company, this is something that I implement. If it feels like somebody's in a state of discord with their own position within the company, they're going to be weight instead of fuel. Mm. So there's a lot of conversations that I have around, do you really even want to be doing this? There is no reason to be working at a job if you don't feel passionate about it. And by the way, if people figured that out, our robotics program would go through the roof. That's true. <laughs> no. <laughs> so this is really interesting because some people, again, this, it comes from a place of fear. Like even having that conversation is very fearful. If you're from a management position, you're thinking, oh my God, if I really shine light on some of the dysfunctions that could be happening mm -hmm. within the team, uh, I could lose like a key player, even if you know that that person is not aligned. But what you're saying is if you have that conversation earlier, it actually might open up some space. If you have that fear, you've lost your key player already. It'll happen now or in two months. No kidding. So what we're talking about here is really having that reality check with your entire team. And this is a powerful system that people can use is just having an all hands on deck meeting. And how would you conduct that two hour meeting where everybody gets aligned? God, depends on the company. I mean, it should really be tailored specifically to whatever company we're working with mm. because everybody has different schedules. I mean, there is no way that that would work with a media company, for example, mm. you know, one who's doing the news where everything's like, go, go, go. It would have to be specifically designed for the company itself. But do you want just an example? A great example would be good, yeah. Well, if I was conducting this meeting, I would allow everybody to speak about exactly how they're feeling within the workplace. Are there any areas of frustration? We kind of go around the group and everybody gets to voice it or not. And then we get to, as a group, create solutions. That's something I think is important because upper management loves to be the only one to create these solutions. Now, something I want to bring to the table that's super important is this concept of the zero-sum game. Most of us in the workplace are playing zero-sum games with each other. And what 
doesn't happen in the atmosphere of a company is everybody taking each other's best interests into account. This is an atmosphere that the upper management gets to set on day one. It's I care about you and I need you to care about me. Obviously, when I'm in a different position, I'm going to have a different viewpoint. I'm going to have a different perspective on the company itself. And that's going to be the case for lower management and upper management. Did you ever see this? I think it was a series that was called Undercover Boss. Did you see that? I've heard about it. Haven't seen the show, but I'm aware of it. Well, I think this is a brilliant show to kind of highlight what I'm saying right now, because what it is in this show, I'm going to give you the premise. These bosses that are multi-million dollar corporate bosses, they go undercover and they go into the workplace so that they're eye to eye. Of course, there's an explanation or an excuse as to why there are camera crews following them. So people think that something totally different is happening. And these lower level management or people, not even management, lower level workers have never seen these upper management professionals or the boss of the mm. company. So they don't know who they're dealing with. And based on that, they get to see how the ground floor of their company is running. And what they always come out with is, my gosh, my perspective being up here is so different than my perspective down here. Mm. And in these types of meetings, that gets taken care of. And I cannot tell you how much that does for a company. So it's about setting the expectation within the company that I need you to understand that as a boss, I have a different perspective than you will as an employee. And I understand that that's going to be the same as well. And what our common goal is, is making the meeting of minds, it's this third option within the company, this thing that meets both my objectives and your objectives, so that you feel like I care about you and I feel like you care about me. Because obviously people who are employees have a hard time, honestly, taking the best interest of the whole company as part of themselves. It's about the paycheck. And it's usually the feeling is, why don't you care about me up there? You know, mm. And the frustration I can tell you from being up here is like, <laughs> you're not thinking about the company like at all. What you're expecting right now is not even possible, but they don't have that vision. So it's about giving that vision. What I've noticed when I work with companies is that people, once they feel like their perspective is taken in, and is really received, and those needs are something that the company's trying to meet, they're reciprocal. And it's also like mind expanding for them. A lot of them, they shift their perspective. And when they come to the table, they say things like, this is what I would really like, but I can see how it's not perfectly in line with the company at large. Mm. But that vision is not something we're giving these low level employees because of that judgment. And what I love about all the things you teach and what you just said here is that a lot of people think it's like, oh, those people are good or bad yeah. at, this, at the management. Then some management could say like, oh, these people, they're good or bad. But in your case, you're just saying there's just no communication. Like there's, and, and, when there you bring, isn't. Yeah. and when you bring it together, now they start actually having, in that undercover boss show, like when people just cut those communication channels, then it kind of makes an us versus them, which brings it back to the zero sum. Right? Oh, yeah. And, us, and then, then you get into the tricky dynamics around management. Managers are actually the most dangerous people or the most beneficial people in a whole company because managers can destroy or disconnect the low-level employee from the boss. Mm. That has got to end. One of the management strategies that's the most dangerous you'll see in companies is that a manager will take the best interests of the people who they give direct information to, but they play like a good cop, bad cop. Oh, man, that'll destroy a company so fast. And it's one of these things that managers do that I don't think people have a lot of awareness about. But that's actually a dynamic I watch a lot when companies are falling apart. I go in and that's what's happening. They've got somebody who's in between the higher ups and the lower level workers. And that person is doing good cop, bad cop. Wow, so now it creates, the whole team kind of goes against the upper management. Exactly, it creates anarchy and then they all quit. This, so this is the pattern, right? At first the employers are like, yeah, we really love that person. We're so excited you hired them, but it's because they're like, I'm gonna stand with you against these guys. 
And then pretty soon it's like a, a devolving where eventually all of these guys get frustrated because their emotional, um, let's say frustration, instead of being resolved, is being voiced only. And then of course this is the, the game the manager's playing. But I talked to the bosses and they said it's not gonna work. It's not about me, it's about them. Wow. And then the frustration rises and then they just start quitting. So they lose the whole workforce. There's a high turnover rate. And it seems like there wouldn't even be an awareness of what's happening, but deep down you're kind of throwing fuel into the fire. Yeah. How does it get to that? Like, why does that even become a reality within the workplace? <laughs> because managers? Well, there's a lot of different reasons, but this, this one, the onus on this one is with that manager. They love playing buddy-buddy. They absolutely love it. So they've got two faces. That's what makes them so dangerous. Now, when you're in the hiring process, these people seem like they're good people people. <laughs> but the reason that they're good at what they do, which is really going to destroy you in the end, is because they got two faces. When they go to the upper management level, they've got one face. When they go to lower level management, they've got another face. And this is what I need, need in companies to be eradicated. I mean, that needs to just end. It is better, actually, even though it's not possible in some corporate settings. There are ways we can get around it, even if it's videos. It's better if the higher up people are involved at least sometimes with the very lower level workers mm. because they have a feeling of accessibility. They have a feeling of you care about me and I understand where you are. People need to feel each other. This is something that I've, I've noticed. Mm. It's very powerful when you've got the boss of a company who takes even that amount of time out of a whole entire month to walk in and say, I'm here, I really care. Feel me as a person. I want us to be on the same team. It's that team feeling which really makes companies thrive. Wow. And so what would be something that someone from a higher level position could do that, let's say you're working for very large organizations, there's like thousands of people. Can you just go and speak with just a couple people within a team or like, how do you scale that? I like to scale that with companies with videos. Mm. So if you can take, it doesn't matter where they are because some of these high level executives are like, I mean, they're in a different city every day, right? Mm. If I can get them like one time a month, some of them do it every week, by the way, to just record themselves. I mean, we're in the age of social media. They record themselves talking to, you know, whatever position in the company they want to, whether it's like janitors or you know, whatever. It's hard for me to come up with these examples because so many companies are so different. But if they just record themselves talking directly to the person, talking about where the company is going, why they want it to go that way, and then that gets played to the, the people within the company, I've seen even that do immense things for a company. So in this case, if you're in this upper management position, if there's any way that you can just take your message and bring it directly to the people, and then actually you can have that connection be rebuilt. Yeah, my what? issue, this is my issue. In the upper management, the big problem, the, this disconnect that exists between the higher ups in the company and the people who are lower on the totem pole of the company is what I said before. It's like, there's this disconnect as if we're not all people, you know? Mm -hmm. So people up here are thinking, well, they're not going to relate. They're not going to get it. They're those people. And that's the same way that they feel. You're not going to get it. You don't have a family that you have a hard time feeding every day. It's these types of issues, emotional issues, I should say, that makes it so that there's no communication happening. I mean, people are people. You can walk into a janitor and be like, I want to understand you. You're still working for the company. You're still part of the team. And what I realized, we started this whole conversation talking about how we recreate our social environment from our childhood back into the company. Yeah. And oh. so then that creates a bunch of dysfunction. We're talking about the upper management doesn't want to have this disconnect with uh, entry. I would hope not. Oh, there's sometimes they do. Oh my gosh. Tell us more. <laughs> well, to be honest with you, a lot of the people that I've talked to, 
in companies that are not as successful as they could be. The people in these higher positions, they fall into the same traps that anyone in a hierarchical system does. Why should I, why should I, being who I am, talk to that person in the day job? Oh, that doesn't sound very enlightening. But it's, <laughs> but it's prevalent, and like, this is the thing. What bothers me the most is when they say the opposite, but their whole energy is that, and you can feel it off of a boss that quick. Wow. They don't actually value the legs they stand on. That's the people in the lower level layer of the company. That is your legs. Those are the people who are going to keep you afloat or not. So they don't have that understanding. Wow. I think I've been very lucky being part of Valley and seeing that that isn't what's the reality within our bubble, you could say. Oh, it's but, I think bubble. It's, but I think in America, <laughs> corporate America, this is very much of a reality that I just don't have that much proximity to. Yeah. And it seems just... It seems just weird to me because I'm like, again, I think I relate more to the people or people and we all have that sense of connection. And even when we talk about the middle managers, I want to come back to them for a second because mm -hmm. do they consciously want to create that divide to be getting that sense of... No, what it is is that in their childhood home, the only way they ever got connection is through triangulation. Tell us more about triangulation. <laughs> Tri okay, triangulation is when I try to establish rapport with somebody to the exclusion of someone else. So it's like gossip. Mm. Gossip is one form, could be one form of triangulation. Do you want to go deeper into the family home? Yes, definitely. Because what I want to make sure people can walk away with this is understanding what patterns you're playing out and then actually how do we actually start disconnecting these patterns so we can do healthier ones as well. So. Okay, it is natural. First thing to understand is that it's natural for a human being to feel a sense of rapport with somebody when you have a common enemy. Mm. In a dysfunctional home, which by the way is like 90% of homes or if not 99% of homes in the world today, what happens there is that, I'll give you a classic example. You've got a mom or a dad, and mom or dad doesn't like one of the kids. That kid is not one that really validates them as a person, right? So they're gonna buddy-buddy with another one of the siblings against that child. And that's the way that they get closeness with this child. And for the kid to feel that closeness, they're gonna have to say yes to that arrangement. So they're gonna start to learn in their mind that the way to gain closeness is to be against something else. And this is super subconscious. So it's not like this person is vindictive or vicious. They're not walking into a company saying, I'm going to do some damage here. It's just that they want that sense of closeness. And as managers, they actually start off on a moral foot, thinking, you know what? I'm going to develop that closeness with these people who I'm managing. I'm going to be that one that cares. But the only way they, the only frame of reference, I should say, that they have for that emotional experience is against someone. All right. As you're saying this, like I've even thinking about these conversations I've had with people on a global scale where we'll just casually say, hey, if we'd actually encounter that there's an alien species that's out there, we'd probably end up actually bonding as a human species. And that just makes you realize that this permeates around. It's a pattern that everybody's kind of aware of. So mm -hmm. how do we start breaking this apart and redoing this in a more healthy way? The way to do that is to start looking at the world through the lens of everything is me. Before that's an actual awareness that people come to, it's a practice that we start with. So if everything is me, I can't be against something without being against myself. If you want the answer for resolving all conflict, that's really the answer. But. It sounds simple, but it's difficult in practice. Hey there, I hope you're enjoying this episode of Superhumans at Work. And remember, this is brought to you 
by Mindvalley. If you become a member of Mindvalley, you get to unlock all of the education that truly leads to an incredible life. Our patented formula to deliver true transformation includes the best technology, amazing teachers, a curriculum that keeps you engaged and delivers you the content that leads to the best life possible. Go to mindvalley.com forward slash superhuman to learn more on how to become a member. And now we'll go on with our episode. If we're speaking to the choir, which is within the Mind Valley concept, about this idea of unity. Yeah. So we're talking about how we're all living within the separation realm. So how do people start nurturing that way of being more towards a unity mindset as opposed to a separation mindset? Like this. Like I sit down in this chair and I realize you're a part of me. Anything that is in the external world is a part of me. It's easier to start with things that you don't absolutely hate. Mm. Like, I like you, so I'm not going to be sitting here being like, oh, this is such a chore. To try to figure out how this person's the same as me. So. It's better if you start just with somebody who you like, but you feel separate from. So if I sit in this chair, I'm going to come at you with that attitude. That's the lens I'm going to put on, the meaning. This is me. That means if you're me, then your best interests are part of my best interests. That means I have to care about your needs. That means I have to really see you, really listen to you, and really feel into you so that there's a sense of harmony. And that doesn't mean I'm going to abandon my own. It just means the two become one. So now what we're hunting for in any given situation is what makes us both feel our sense of well-being. And if we run into a point of conflict, either there's a third option that works or there's an incompatibility. If there's an incompatibility, what makes our relationship safe if we're doing this is that we're both going to decide upon what to do with that incompatibility together. And if you extend that within the workplace... Okay, so let's go with a merger. Let's say yeah. you have a company and I have a company. Yeah. I have to create a business deal with you that's a win-win, don't I? Mm -hmm. If it is a win-lose, that's a zero-sum game. If it's a win-lose, this is not going to be an arrangement that works. And even if it works in the short term for one of us, I've just destroyed our relationship long term. Talk about vendetta. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to try to find that win-win in all situations. If there is no merger, because with your company and with my company, we can't find a place where both of our best interests are met then you and I get to figure out what to do with the incompatibility there. What does it mean for my company's best interest and your company's best interest? So we're going to make a decision that's still in each other's best interest. Mm. And that decision could even be the fact that the merger might not be something we need to do. Exactly. But if we both come to that together, then it's not, screw you. Yeah, it's actually like, hey, we realize it's, we're just trying to create value. It's this, it's this. <laughs> we both agree it's not going to work. Okay, then keep doing your thing, I keep doing my thing. Yeah. Got it. Why is it so hard to do that? Why? Because it seems so natural in this conversation. And like when people listen to this, I feel like they'll be like, yeah, this makes so much sense. Like if people would all operate that way, the world would be a better place. Why can't we, like, why do we keep having these things that are unhealed, keep triggering us? Like In the childhood home is the reason. <laughs> Let me walk you back through it. You ready? In most homes, what you have is a dysfunctional pattern. And the dysfunctional pattern that is the foundation of the whole thing is it's every man for himself. Obviously, we're going to come back to the home in a second, but this is what needs to change in corporate America and the world in terms of corporations. We can no longer address business with an attitude of, it's my best interests or yours. It cannot be a zero-sum game anymore. But we learn the zero-sum game in our childhood home. In a dysfunctional home, what happens is you've got one parent, a psychologist might label them a narcissist. Everything around them is about them. It's my needs, my best interest, you get to conform to what I want. 
most of us, when we're thinking about our childhood home, know exactly who that person is. If there isn't a conformity to this person, there is consequence. End of story. You don't get to have you and have them too. It's one or the other. Now, that person is usually married to a codependent type. Now, this is a person who will conform, but conform for their own best interests. I know that sounds like a little bit of a flippy on the whole situation, but this is how it works. The codependent is going to constantly subvert their needs, or so it seems, to meet the best interests of this narcissist in the family. But they do that entirely for one reason. It's a need that that's meeting. So they're really doing it for themselves as well. Yeah. It's just two different strategies for self-interest. So really, you've got two narcissistic parents. You've got one who is overtly narcissistic, one who is covertly narcissistic. Now, a child who's born into this home sees both of these strategies. And even if they don't understand it intellectually, they understand it emotionally. They get, oh no, everything in this home is a fight for your life, for yourself. Even if it's not on a physical level, it's on an emotional level. So the message that they get is, I can't be really with my authentic truth, my feelings, my thoughts, my truth, and have a relationship with these people. I either give it up and match this dynamic that I see with the codependent. That's what the golden child does. Hmm. So I become exactly what that narcissistic parent or the codependent parent wants and leave myself by the wayside. Or I stick by my own morals. I stick by my own truth. And some children, by the way, they just cannot conform, even if they want to, because they've got differences in terms of their nervous system and ways that they can't shift to cope. And that child is the one that gets pushed to the perimeter. They get marginalized within their own family. Mm. And that becomes the scapegoat? Yeah, that becomes the scapegoat. All of these people share one thing in common. The understanding that it's every man for himself. And we all have to come up with a strategy for meeting our needs despite what everyone else is doing. Mm. And when I hear this, here's what I hear from a corporate lens, <laughs> is that I can see the instances where you have this boss who's very dominating, very narcissistic, is usually able to gather a lot of people that work for them and just do everything they ask. And then it seems like it's a functional team, yeah. but these people are burning out. Yep. They're working super hard. They're not getting recognition, but yes. they keep staying within the workplace. Yes. And yeah. so I can see all these parallels we're drawing when you pull it from the childhood and you bring it within mm -hmm. the workplace. We talked about having this change of lens, like this whole separation lens is one of the key reasons this happens. Yeah. When you shift towards having this unity mindset, you start realizing that everybody's need is also my need, so you're not trying to sabotage anybody yeah. else. But where does the role of like, like some people have these like things that come from childhood that are like shame and fear. Like how does that play out within the dynamics of everything here? Well, that's the basis of the whole thing. Mm. In the explanation that I just gave you, shame is the core foundation of everything. Because what they've learned in their childhood is, I can't be me and have you at the same time, right? Do you want me to explain shame? A little bit. Okay. I think if I explain shame, it's going to make more sense for you. Shame is one of the most poorly understood things on the planet because people think it's an emotional state. Shame is a biological affective reaction, the same as fight or flight mechanism is. This is when it happens. In our childhood and even now, right, we are a social species. We're a herd species, even more so than deer. It's hard for people to accept this because we hold to the tenant of independence, which is such an illusion. We hold to this tenant of independence, which is a complete illusion for us. We're a social species. Our only way of surviving is, in fact, the social group. 
and this is even more so when we're a tiny infant. If I was to take an infant, place it down on the sidewalk, it is dead. Yeah. Its survival is dependent upon one thing and for a very long time compared to other species, and that's the care of another human. That means our entire nervous system is wired for connection. This is why we're even willing to throw ourselves out the window and our best interests and needs out the window for the sake of connection, for the sake of the best interest of somebody in the company we want to get close to or whatever. So our primary motive is closeness. Now, when somebody disapproves of us for something, that is perceived inside our body as a push away from them. So like, let's say I'm sitting right here and I, I disapprove of the shirt, right? And I'm like, I don't like the color of your shirt. Do you feel that push away? But I chose teal because it'd be I know you're nice fighting color. me now, but do you, <laughs> I actually love it a bit. I got to do this. <laughs> but again. you feel it biologically. You're like, oh, I got rejected. Yeah, yeah. you're going to feel the push away. That is going to actually throw your nervous system into a red zone. Mm. You say, this is unsafe. Oh, my gosh. Now, the way you're going to respond to this, and this is not even conscious that you're doing this. It's totally subconscious. When I do that, you're going to turn against that aspect of yourself. You're going to say, all right, I'm going to distance myself from this thing so that I can gain closeness with you. It's an internal triangulation. So if somebody does something that rejects a part of you, you will try to isolate and be shameful about that part of you so that you can actually fit in with the concept of what that person expects of you? Exactly. So you're trying to gain closeness through the exclusion of that trait that they rejected. Whoa. Yes. Okay. Now, we cannot physically split ourselves, right? But we can with our consciousness. This is something that psychologists have figured out for years, that psychology, consciousness, psyche, it splits. Now, what shame is, it's I'm pushing a part of myself away. The only way to do that is to create a split within my own psychology. I'm creating a split. That's what shame is. To shame, shame is to push oneself away. Wow. So when we all talked about this idea that we feel separate from other people, you're even saying that this concept of separation happens within ourselves. Yes. How do we go through a completion process? <laughs> Get my book. Yeah. And this is why you act differently around different people, right? Yeah. Okay. So how do we start recomposing ourselves as a whole and start to heal these aspects of ourselves? Well, within us, we start to reown those aspects that we've pushed away. And this is the opposite of what most people are doing. See, most people, when they feel shame, let's say, I mean, can you pick anything you feel shame about? Hmm. I feel shame that I actually don't have a really good sense of style, that my shoes are actually sometimes borrowed from a colleague that has an amazing sense of style. And I'm actually ashamed that I don't make good picks on shoes. But thanks for Jason, I have amazing shoes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so say that that's something that you feel super ashamed of. Most people would fight you on it. The way that most people deal with shame is to say, you have a great sense of style. Mm. I totally disagree with you. Like, it's amazing to make you feel better. But actually, you've already been trained that the reality of you is that you have no style. Mm. So I've just proven I don't see you. Oh. The way to go about solving shame is the exact opposite. It's, okay, so how do we become okay with the fact that you have no sense of style? Oh, and that actually, your mind starts thinking of solutions around that, or just actually just being comfortable with it's, it. How do I pull it in and include it as part of me? Mm. If you've already made up your mind, that something is the truth for you, you have no option than to find approval, find acceptance for that part of you. That's where most people aren't working well with shame. Yeah, so, so, so in the workplace, let's translate this to the yeah. workplace. It's ideal if within any social setting, 
we set the stage for the acceptance of aspects of people that they might be ashamed of. Now, if I am in a, a corporate position, a higher up type of a position, when somebody comes to work for me, I'm gonna figure out what it is that they're ashamed of about themselves. I'm gonna help them own it. If I've got somebody who's inherently narcissistic, I'm gonna use that to my advantage. I'm gonna make sure to put them in one position versus another position. And one of the best things you can do if you're a boss is to figure out how to work people's shadows for the company instead of against the company. Mm. You always wanna work with someone's natural state. Within any corporation, people are going to be creating their own evolution. I mean, there's gonna be some things that they learn and some skills they master and some muscles they develop, but it's the very best if you can put somebody's dysfunction in the correct place. <laughs> give me an example of that. <laughs> well, let's see if we can translate this to the workplace, but first I'll give you an example. Let's say that you've got somebody who's inherently an energy vampire. Mm. You know this type of person, they just like suck energy, right? Mm. Would that be someone that's like always talking or always the center of attention or? It, yeah, that would be a good. Okay, because I could imagine a person like that in the workplace. <laughs> well, these people tend to be the very best energy workers. They don't understand that they can suck negative energy as well. So they're usually just going for any energy they get access to. But they, they are amazing. They're absolutely amazing at energy work. So it's like you're gearing this dysfunction in a direction where it actually works. If somebody's naturally bossy, for example, right? I'm gonna figure out where I can put them, where that dysfunction's gonna work. Hmm. Are there times that that could go out of control? Like it almost feels like you're working with dark magic here. Because <laughs> it's like, oh, let's use this, like, this person that has this kind of like, I need to control everything. Let's put them as a controller. Yeah. How do you stay into that position without letting it go into a place where it becomes another dysfunction? It goes right back to that they have to take other people's best interests as part of themselves. So it's healing the separation mindset. Once the separation mindset is healed, you can't cause harm. This is what I'm, why I'm trying to get people to really bring these in as part of the way that they operate within the world. If they bring these aspects in and they have connection, they can't hurt something. Mm. I gotta make this make more sense, you ready? Yes. If you're in connection with me, if we're connected, so you feel like we're one, you can't hurt me without hurting you, right? Truth. So now, if you have one of these negative traits, but you can't hurt me, how's it gonna shift? I'm gonna to try to direct it towards a way that it wouldn't hurt you. That's kind of, that makes it really simple. <laughs> so it's called exaltation. This is what I call it anyway. It's like turning metal into gold. This is the exaltation of a trait. And now you don't even need to have any shame about it. Mm -hmm. You can just accept it. For example, bullies. Yeah. If bullies start to feel a sense of connection, they start to bring other people in as part of themselves, they make natural motivators, natural coaches, natural leaders they can push people to be their best. That's so interesting. And here's what's on my mind when you say this, is that I feel like I've always had, let's say for me, like I love being in control of everything within the workplace. Uh -huh. That's one of my things. <laughs> okay. And then what I would do is I would actually try to cope with that by trying to be like, oh yeah, I'm not gonna try to control too much. I'm just gonna let things in. And I, that's how I separate it from me. Okay. And it seems to be yes. a bit like, under the, the explanations you're giving, I'm kind of self-identifying saying, okay, there's a part of me that feels it's very controlling and that could be a, a shameful part of yes. me but now I'm even afraid to even communicate it to the people. But that's what makes you safe. This is what I wish. What makes you safe, especially if you're in one of these upper level positions, what makes you safe is to be able to communicate that. Hmm. I can't tell you how much we can do and conflict we can avoid in the workplace if we set expectations. Hmm. And by the way, when we say how we are, it puts an expectation in people's minds. 
It's kind of a weird way of doing it. People aren't used to it, but it's better than playing like you're different than you are. And it even takes you away from your own authentic self. Yeah, well, this is how it goes in my company. You ready? Just throw myself under the bus here. <laughs> I'm a perfectionist. I cannot stand second-rate performance. So they know that. In that company, one of the things that I do when people come in is I prep them about how I function as a person. My personality is going to be quite a shock for them, especially because in my line of work, I'm a spiritual teacher. So everyone has an expectation for how that's going to look. It's the opposite of me. I'm not a person who's constantly going to be okay with everybody. In fact, I'm a high perfectionist. So when they come into the business, this is how it goes. I will not put up with a low level of excellence. I'm also not going to give all kinds of positive feedback. So if people want gratitude from me, I'm the worst person to go to. Now I have a choice to make. Within the workplace, either I get to work on giving positive feedback, or that's not a priority for me at this moment. So I'm not going to do that. Instead, I'm going to prime everybody for what it's going to be like to work with me, which means you're not going to get it. In order to get positive feedback in my company for me, you have to really do something excellent, not just do your job. Now, when I say that to somebody, now they're not sitting around frustrated at the kind of boss that I am. I've already given them an expectation. Now, one of the things that I think is so important within the corporate setting is that those expectations are put on the table, and it does not happen. I mean, it's crazy when I watch the hiring process; it never happens.、Mm. The boss is never like, "This is what I expect, and this is what I expect, and this is what you can expect from me, and not expect from me." And same in reverse. If that happened, I can't tell you how often it would be a mismatch, or how often people would be like, "I can do that." Okay.、Mm. And that's interesting because if Viva would just do that, you'd actually probably get to hire the right people. And the person that's、yes. like, "Hey, I'm someone that actually works really well, and I get expect like when I get a boss that praises me all the time and gives me the encouragement to perform even more."、Yeah. They can automatically self-select and realize this is not the environment,、yes. the social structure that best supports the conditioning that I was brought to the point that I am right now. Yes, and even if you're in a company with bigger resources,、mm. for example, if a person's bringing that to the table, now me that gives me tense amounts of information as a boss.、Mm. Now, if I've got somebody who needs positive feedback, I'm like, hmm, is there anybody on my team that's good at that? If they're a fit in every other way, and that's the one place they're not a fit, now I'm going to find somebody else to give them positive feedback, and I'm going to communicate that. This just is the concept of like you can have the right, you can have people coming on the bus, which is the bus of work, right?、Yeah. But if they're in the wrong seat, it's usually because there's this incompatibility、yes. between the ways that people are expecting themselves、yes. to conduct. This is sad because there's so much that can be done around incompatibility.、Mm. I mean, sometimes things are truly incompatible, and they really you shouldn't be in the same company. Let's just、mm. be honest. But there's so much workability around incompatibility. So many positions that you can put people in. I see companies needlessly firing people, needlessly when they have an incredible excellence. It's just they were meant for a different position, and so often that's not how they're looking. They're just looking at this is the job description. This is what you're acting like, and do you fit? It's not. Oh my gosh, we've got a resource. Where in this company can we put this resource?、Mm. As I hear you say this again, it always seems so obvious. But why are we so afraid to just speak our truth? Because it wasn't received in the first place. Look at the childhood home. What happened when Dad loved tennis and you loved books? You would say, "I want to read." He wouldn't want to. He'd want to play tennis. You'd force yourself to go play to make him happy. Yeah, and so there's no relationship either way.、Mm. If you go play to make Dad happy, it's not you in the room. There's a gap between you. There's no relationship. Same thing happens if it's like, well, I'm going to read my book while you go play tennis. It's that we learned this lesson. I can't have you and have me too. So it comes back to the separation again. Uh huh. It always does. It always does. 
All right, when I hear this and like I really see these patterns, so childhood, it's in the past, it's happened, I am me, I am what I am today, and now I'm looking at these social contexts, but is there anything I can do to change how I am based on that conditioning? No, you're screwed. I thought so, no? <laughs> Can't be. <laughs> no, I wouldn't be in this position if that was the case. Mm. Yeah, there's all kinds of things that can be done about it. It's as simple as like noticing why you're doing things and when you're doing them, and really paying attention to your emotions. I think that's probably the best thing that I can leave people with. The emotional field, even though most people, especially in the corporate world, kind of discount it because they've been taught to bulldoze their emotions, your emotions are a guidance system for you. It's the most important thing for you to pay attention to. So if I could leave people with one thing to do, it's that, pay attention to the way that you're feeling. I work with these big-time CEOs. I work with people who are multi-billionaires. And this is one of the techniques that I give them, is every day at intervals, and it's whatever interval feels feasible to them. Sometimes they work with 10 minutes. Sometimes they work with an hour. They'll set a timer, and when it goes off, they have like a little notepad. And they close their eyes, and they pay attention to the sensations happening in their body. And they write down the sensations. Sensations are somatic. It's not emotions, not like sadness or you know, anger. It's like heat, tension, pulling, those types of descriptive qualities. They write it down in this little sheet. They do that for a week. The next week, now they start to add emotions to it. If I look at this sensation list I've just written, and I look at a list of emotions, which ones match? That's the second week. For the third week, then it's why. These are the sensations. This is what I feel. Why do I feel that way? And they start to link. This conversation I just had made me feel this way. Now, underneath every emotion is a very powerful personal truth. And we're never looking for that personal truth. But this is how anybody in the workplace really knows where they stand in any given moment and what needs to be fixed and what needs to be resolved and what their actual needs are, is to listen to those messages that are underneath those emotional states that are communicated as sensations. Okay, I need to wrap this up into a way that we can actually have people that are listening to this right now you're gonna to want to see how you can apply this into the workplace. And I know that you have a ton of resources because <laughs> this whole episode was really about retraining the mind. Yeah. We really wanted to get people to understand that the biggest issue here was the separation ideology, yeah. right? What would be some of the top links that people can already go deeper, such as the conflict resolution? Because it all comes from the same source, but there are specific instances that people are gonna to want to deal with, like when the conflict arises. Uh -huh. Can we send a link to all these videos that you already have on Yeah, YouTube? I would love that right off the top of my head. The best video I think that you could watch if you're in a corporate environment is Zero Sum Game. Zero Sum Game. Yeah. Perfect. Teal, thank you so much for spending time with us today. I want to just give a recap for the people listening here because when we started, we talked about how relationships are the backbone of how the company works. We're all people within an organization. And we've immediately identified that this can be a complicated field and it all comes from your childhood. Everything that happened in your childhood, you recreate those relationships in a new social system, which is the workplace. And I love the examples that we've used in this interview, such as the triangulation method, how people naturally bond over a common enemy. Do you see yourself do that sometimes in the workplace? If you're a manager, do you buddy with other managers and blame employees that you have under you? Or if you're an employee, are you bonding with your manager against upper management? What are ways that you could see that triangulation is a technique you're already using for coping? And what about narcissism and codependency? We've seen that be an example in a relationship within a household. Can you see that happen within a manager and an employee, how you might be seeing yourself overworking to try to satisfy the needs of a very narcissistic leader, or are you yourself 
requiring so much from the people under you because of your narcissistic tendencies. Mm -hmm. We've really made sure that it's not something that you need to separate from yourself because the shame is not going to be the answer. The separation that'll happen within you is going to make you have different personalities and that is actually the opposite of being authentic in the workplace. And so acknowledge it and find yourselves that you can direct this in more positive means within the organization. When you embrace an unity, the non-separation ideology that Teal talked about throughout this session, you'll start to realize that everything you do to harm an other is also harmful to you. And with that level of awareness, this is where your consciousness needs to rise on an individual level so you can start looking at solutions on how to get rid of these fear-based environments within the workplace and dealing with that shame in the workplace as well. Getting you to that idea that unity is at the core of our existence here, you can apply these principles into the better interests of the organization and you can start looking into solutions on going towards the root cause and fixing these conflicts that could arise within the workplace. Have a deep dive within the Ask Teal series that you can find on YouTube. You have the Zero Sum Game, which I know is a powerful video that you can go deeper into systems on how to look at the world differently because it is not a zero sum game. We're all pushing humanity forward together. And also look at the video about how to solve conflict, which uses examples that are outside of the workplace. But as you've seen within this video, everything is applicable in every situation. And finally, Know that you are not stuck where you are. You are in a continuous process of growing, learning, and this is part of our human experience. And it gets to be lived within the workplace, within your personal life, and everywhere. And so everybody, thank you for watching. And again, Teal, this was a fantastic episode. Thank you so much. Once again, everybody, thanks for tuning in to Superhumans at Work. I'm very grateful for all of you who tune in on a regular basis, listening to these amazing interviews with these guests that I get to find. Now, if you're subscribed to the show, definitely leave us a review if you can and share it with friends so that we can spread the message and get more people to be able to learn of these fantastic ideas that they can bring in their everyday life. And these episodes, of course, are brought to you by Mindvalley. When you go to mindvalley.com forward slash superhuman, you get to discover the transformational education that we get to deliver where we bring the best technology, the best teachers, and ensure that it teaches you what leads to a truly incredible life. Thanks again for tuning in and watching the show. And until next time, stay superhuman. My name is Jason Campbell, and this is Superhumans at Work, a Mindvalley podcast.